Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. From 1 Peter, we'll be looking at two verses, verses 8 and 9 this morning. There we read, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Amen. Please be seated. During my high school years, I worked on a dairy farm in central California, and my job was essentially being the lawn boy. I was taking care of the property on this large farm, taking care of the the homes, mowing their grass, etc. And one of the homes had a Dalmatian dog, and that dog didn't like me, and quite frankly, I didn't like him. We had a mutual disdain for each other. He didn't want me coming on his property, and quite frankly, I didn't want to go on his property, and yet it was my job to do so. And so I dreaded it, because every time I did, that dog would bark and growl and show its teeth. It wasn't a nice puppy dog. But the one thing that saved me was that the dog was on a chain, a chained leash. And so he had about 15 to 20 feet. That's as far as he could go. And so when I came on the property, he would use all 20 feet of that leash. And at first I would give him plenty of space. But as the summer went along, I became a little more bold. And I came a, a little bit closer and closer, yet obviously just out of his reach, just to taunt him a little, just to mock him, perhaps. And maybe, I'm just saying maybe, I would speak to him as well and say, what's the matter? I think his name was Pogo. What's the matter, Pogo? Are you having a bad day today? And the more I spoke to him, the madder he would become. Admittedly, it wasn't a nice thing for me to do, but as I said, he didn't like me and I didn't like him. But I was very thankful for that chain, because if that chain wasn't there, it would have been a different story. And it reminds me of a scene in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read that, then I highly recommend it to you and put it on your reading list this year. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life, and it details the the walk of Christian, of his pilgrimage through this life, the, the Christian pilgrimage. And there's a portion in there that reads like this. So I saw in my dream that Christian hurried along towards the palace since he hoped to obtain lodging there. 
Now, before he had gone very far, he entered into an extremely narrow passage, which was close by the porter's lodge. Carefully proceeding along this restricted part of the highway, he perceived not far ahead two lions that seemed to stand in his way. As a result, he was filled with fear and contemplated going back. For at that moment, he thought that nothing but death was ahead of him. But the porter named Watchful at the palace lodge and noticing that Christian hesitated, called out to him and said, Are your strength and courage so small? Don't be afraid of the lions, since they are in fact chained. Their being there is for the purpose of testing your faith at this point in the journey, as well as for the discovery of those that are faithless. So keep in the middle of the path, and you will not be harmed. And I saw that Christian went forward on his way, though trembling because of the fear of the lions. Yet he was careful to follow the directions of the porter. Yes, the lions roared and snarled, but they were unable to harm him. As a result, he joyously clapped his hands and went on until he stood before the palace gate where the porter awaited him. No doubt Bunyan had in mind this passage that is before us from 1 Peter, that the devil is a roaring lion. He is fierce and he is dangerous, as Peter says, seeking someone to devour And yet, the devil is limited. He is chained. And so, Peter's exhortation to us this morning is to not be unaware of the devil and of his ways. But at the same time, don't be overly enamored by him either. Now, we're not to stray to the left or to the right, but we're to stay in the middle of the path. So as not to come within the reach of the snapping jaws of the lion. And we'll see that this morning in two points, our adversary, the devil, and then our advantage, his defeat. First, our adversary, the devil. As we begin, it's probably and perhaps needful to lay out some caveats, because any teaching on the devil or Satan will have some resistance, will have some pushback, especially in our day. And I think that's true because ever since the Enlightenment, the Western world has become somewhat closed to the supernatural. In fact, anything that is described in a supernatural way is seen as almost an excuse to not really search, not to really find out the true reason, the natural cause. And as a result, there's a worldview that comes out of it, that There truly is nothing that exists beyond that which can be seen, touched, tasted, smelled, or heard. In other words, that there is really nothing beyond our senses. Now, hopefully no Christian would have such a view because, as we know, God is at work every day through his work of providence, upholding, preserving, governing all things, all of us. Sometimes that work can be seen, and oftentimes it cannot. And so we must not have this naturalistic or naturalism view of the world. And yet at the same time, we don't want to go to the other extreme and have some superstitious view either. That there is an 
angel or a devil in every bush or behind every tree. And that we would blame the devil for everything. The devil made me do it mentality. And so it's proper to always in these matters go back to the scripture. To examine the scriptures to have a proper view of spiritual warfare of the devil. The extent of his power and to keep our understanding within that framework of God's word and of scripture. And so let's begin this morning with speaking about who he is. Who is the devil? Well, as you know, he can be referred to as the devil or Satan. The scriptures talk about him as being the evil one, the prince of this world, the prince of darkness. He's referred to as the crafty serpent, the accuser, the tempter, the angel of lights. Here, Peter refers to him as the adversary. And likens him to a roaring lion. And from that we can know that he was a created being. He was an angel, yes, but a rogue angel if you would. Created by God. But rebelled against him. And the scriptures do not talk much about his fall. But we can surmise, I think, that seemingly he was not content with his lots. For when he tempts Eve, what was his temptation towards her? That if she would eat of this apple, she would become like God. And so from that, I think we can say that the devil's downfall was that seemingly he wanted to be made like God. And in that way, he seeks to imitate God. He seeks to have a similar power and dominion and service and praise and worship even to be brought to him. In fact, we could go as far to say he is jealous for it. And therefore he's opposed to God. And opposed to God's ways and opposed to God's people. Along with his dominion of demons and other spiritual beings. They make up a formidable force, no doubt. And the name devil literally means to trip up by throwing something between moving legs. That is fitting because that is ultimately his purpose. His task is to trip up, to take down. He is an adversary, as Peter says, like a boxer in a boxing ring who with repeated blows wants to have his opponent give in or give up to Quit fighting to lay down. And that is essentially what he desires for each and every one of us is for us to be brought down, to be brought low. And so therefore he's opposed to Christians. He's an adversary who has no good intent. John 10.10, Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill. And destroy. That is his purpose. Peter here as I said likens him to a roaring lion. A lion roars because a lion is hungry. And that is in a sense what is being referred to. Is that the devil is hungry. He is driven. He is on a mission. His narcissistic pride does not allow him to cease. His driving desire. His insatiable desire is to bring insult to God himself, 
to disparage his name, to divert his glory, to bring shame on God and upon his work. And since he cannot do that to God himself, because God is holy, blameless, and pure, undefiled, he seeks to do it to those that belong to God, to believers, to the church, the image bearers, the ones that bear the name of Jesus Christ. And so that means if you are a believer this morning, you are in the bullseye of the evil one himself. His desire is to trip you up, to cause calamity in your life, perhaps even temptation or trial so as to drive you to sin or to perhaps give up in despair. Think of Job, perhaps, where the devil asks the Lord, well, does Job serve you for nothing? Strike him and you shall see that he will curse you to his face. And so, Satan goes out of the presence of the Lord. The Lord gives him permission and he strikes Job. But what is the purpose of his striking? So that Job would curse God. Turn against God. See, the adversary is looking for allies in his smear campaign against the most high God. And as we look around the world, we can say that he's quite successful at what he does He has many on his side that are opposed to him and opposed to to God and opposed to his ways. That either do his bidding or spread the same lies as Satan would spread. And as you know, the world is a hostile place to the things of God, to the teachings of God. My two oldest just went through, completed the communicants class And so I've been asking them some follow-up questions. Are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? How do I know that you'll be a Christian all of your life? That is admittedly a tough question. And so I pose it to you as well. How do you know that you will be a Christian all of your life? How do you know that you'll stand against the world, against the flesh, against the devil, this day or this week or this year? Because I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to see people sitting where you are sitting this morning. That sing the same hymns and songs. That confess the same faith. That listen to the same passages and scriptures and then seemingly fall away. Walk away. Walk away from the faith and from the Lord. And especially as of late of this former youth pastor's heart has been brought to, at times, the point of anguish and despair. Seeing the fruits of some of the lives of my former youth group, things that are espoused and things that they now hold to or believe in. And you look at it and you think, what happened? It seemingly started so well. Well, we can say at least in part that the roaring lion seeks to devour who he may. And the world indeed seems to be truly the devil's playground. And I would be brought to ultimate despair, and perhaps you would be as well, if the following was not true. And the following is our second point, 
that we have an advantage. And the advantage is Satan's defeat. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it? And sometimes we do, admittedly, think that Satan is winning. When we look at the world, when we look at our country perhaps, when we look at even the church or look at the so-called God's people, be very easy for us to think that the purer and purer are becoming fewer and fewer. Be easy for us to be like Elijah in 1 Kings 19 that we read earlier. Elijah goes into hiding. He essentially says, I'm alone. I'm the last one. I'm the last follower of God. And now they seek me. And once I'm gone, that's it. God's work is done here. And the Lord needs to remind him in several different ways that God's work is never done. And he makes Elijah go up on the mountain and there he sees God's handiwork. But he does not see God in the earthquake or the fire or in the strong wind, but rather in a small whisper. And I think that's a good reminder to us because I think oftentimes Satan work, Satan's work is like that strong wind, like that earthquake, like that fire. It's a destructive force and it has a lot of fanfare. And the more fanfare, the better. The bigger the splash, the better in his sense. And as a result, we hear about it and not only hear about it, but our Let's be honest, our sinful nature gravitates towards it. That which is quote-unquote newsworthy is usually that which is not good. Or perhaps in the workplace, around the water cooler, when somebody says, hey, have you heard? What is it that usually follows? It's not something that is uplifting. It's not something that builds up, but it's usually about somebody else and something that they have fallen into or gotten themselves into generally pretty bad and the works of satan i think get a lot of publicity and as a result he gets a lot more credit than he deserves and perhaps even appears more powerful and strong than he is that's what he loves but that's an illusion because in comparison to almighty god he is but nothing he is one of his created beings And yes, he may be a lion, but he is a chained lion, a defeated adversary. Because Satan was and is defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That through Christ's life and his atoning sacrifice, Christ defeated sin. Christ defeated the penalty of sin, which is death, and truly defeated the devil himself. That with every hammer blow, with every drop of blood, with every excruciating breath, the devil's power and reign over this earth was brought to an end. And the moment that seemed like Christ was at his lowest. Perhaps it was seen as Christ being defeated. It was actually the moment of Christ's greatest strength. And of Christ's greatest strength. Victory. And Jesus, at that moment, once again, with his death and then especially at his resurrection, demonstrated 
that he is God and Satan is not. And Satan is a defeated foe. As we will sing in a little while, that wonderful hymn, Up From the Grave, we sing these words, Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph over his foes, he rose a victor from the dark's domain and lives forever with his saints to reign. Indeed, he has won the victory. And us in him, and therefore in Christ, Satan has no power over us. We are Christ. He is ours. And we are his. And so... Christ has given us already the upper hand, has given us the higher ground. He has given us the victory, has given us all the spiritual armor in which we need to win. And so we should not and must not stoop down to him or bow the knee to anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do you know that you will not fall? Well, the only reason why you can know that you will not fall or succumb to Satan, or his power, or his temptation, is that you would cast yourself upon Christ. That you would do so again this day. That you would do so constantly. That you would do so continually. That we would continually walk in humility. Remember, this passage comes in that context of Peter saying, humble yourself. How is it that Satan will not conquer us? Well, it's the same way that Christ was not conquered. He was humbled even to the point of death. And as we walk in that humility, walk in that constant dependence on Christ, then Satan has no power over us. Peter goes on to give practical applications to this. In fact, he says in verse 9, resist him, stand up to him and his ways. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says at the very beginning, verse 8, be sober, be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Do not be drunk or intoxicated upon this world or the things of this world. Do not think that possessions or power or prestige or pleasure will give you something that is ultimately satisfying. Because all of those things will leave you hollow, will leave you wanting. The world can offer you nothing good that you don't already have in Christ or one day will have. Let me repeat that again. The world can offer you nothing good that you don't already have in Christ or one day will have and have in abundance. Have it in an overflowing measure. Again, John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and may have it abundantly. Have it eternally. Life is not in the world. It's not by the flesh. It is not by the devil. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we have it in an abundant measure. He is our greatest treasure And so, therefore, or likewise, do not get caught up in the worldly mindset. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, that way is death. That's what's so frustrating when I'm 
speaking or, or, or thinking about the lives of some of my former youth as they are espousing newfound views. And not surprisingly, they're the popular views of the day. And I think, have we become smarter than God? Have we become more enlightened? Do we know better than He? Oh, how foolish. We stick with the solid foundation of God's truth. Even when, or perhaps I should say, especially when those things become unpopular. Peter says, be sober. Don't be drunk on this world or the things of it. He goes on to say, be aware, be watchful. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we are not unaware of his schemes. Satan may be powerful, but he is not original. He only has so many weapons in his arsenal. He has the same dance moves. They're just repackaged according to the times. In the end, he is the same old devil. And so be caught, not caught, unaware. We have the scriptures, we have the word of God that are everlasting, that are eternal, that help us to discern. And this is where we as, as parents and, and perhaps you as grandparents need to, to help your children, help your grandchildren to discern, to understand. We do so by making practical applications to the Word of God as you're reading it together as a, a family or as you see things taking place in the world. You help your children to understand these things. We're not to shelter them from the world, but at the same time, we shouldn't expect them to figure it out on their own either. Now, we're not to be the only voice they hear, but we are to be the interpreting voice, the one that speaks to their hearts and to their minds. We need to help them put on the, the spectacles of the scriptures. And we need those spectacles, those glasses as well. To see all of the world, to, to have the right worldview, to orient our worldview rightly. Otherwise, we will see things askew. And obviously, see things according to not how God would have us, but the things of Satan and the world and whatever else. So be aware, be watchful. And then finally, as it says here, resist him firm in your Faith. Satan's primary target is your faith, undermining your faith, undermining your confidence, undermining your foundation upon which you stand. Again, remember what he said of Eve. Did God really say that you should not do this? Sowing those seeds of doubt or despair. Last week, We preached on casting our cares upon him. Did you have some cares this week? And what did you do with them? Did you cast them upon the Lord or did you doubt? Did you say, well, does he really? Does he really care? I don't know that he does. I don't know that I'm feeling it in this moment. No, we go back to the firm foundation of the scriptures that says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. And so I'm going to believe that promise that even in this, He cares for me. That I will not be shaken. That I will not cower. 
Rather, I'll be sober, I'll be aware, I'll stand firm. As Jesus says, we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. In other words, or perhaps another way of putting that, we may be in the devil's playground, but we don't dance his dance. We dance the Lord's dance by staying step with the Spirit. And we do so through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that is enough to make Satan flee. Remember the words of John when he says in 1 John 4, Little children, I love how he addresses us. Little children, you are from God. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Martin Luther, who knew something of the attacks of Satan and the evil one, writes to a friend in a letter. And this friend that was struggling with his faith and having doubts, Luther writes this to him. You say that the temptation is heavier than you can bear and that you fear that it will break you and beat you down as to drive you to despair and blasphemy. I know this while of the devil. If he cannot break a person with his first attack, he tries by persevering to wear him out and weaken him till the person fails and confesses himself beaten. Despite those thoughts which are induced by the devil, in this sort of temptation and struggle, contempt is the best and easiest method of winning over the devil. Laugh your adversary to scorn and ask who is it with whom you are talking And when the devil throws our sins up to us, declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak to him this way. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Notice what Luther is saying, that we are to, in a sense, mock, scorn Satan with the truth of God's word. As we stand on the firm foundation of what he has given to us. Yes, Satan may come with all of his fury, but the Lord still speaks. and still speaks with that small voice. That small voice The word of the scriptures. And that is more powerful. That is greater than Satan and all of his lies. And so may the Lord this day have your ear. And may he have your heart and your mind and your life as well. I'll conclude with this. Many of you know Jean Paul is our missionary, our pastor in Haiti. And there in Haiti he deals more visibly with the powers of darkness than perhaps we do, because the leading belief over there is voodoo and witchcraft. There was a rumor going around that a witch doctor had put a curse upon John. That supposedly if this man had put this curse on John and that if this man then shook your hand, you would become ill or perhaps even die. And so John was being told, he put a curse on you. He's put a curse on you. Make sure you don't shake his hand. Well, John did meet this man. This man extended his hand. 
And John shook it and did not die and did not become sick. And his people said to him, why did you do that? Were you not scared? And John said to him, no, King Jesus is stronger. King Jesus is stronger. The devil may be a roaring lion, but the lion of Judah is greater and stronger and more powerful. And he is not your adversary. He is your advocate. The one that battles and fights for you. Therefore, remain in him. Walk with him. And all will be well. Amen. Join me in prayer. Oh Lord, how we are weak and frail and feeble and we have no power in ourselves. Lord, if we were left to ourselves, we would be consumed. We would truly be devoured. For we know our own sinful ways. We know even our own sinful hearts and our desires. That Satan wouldn't have to do much of all to make us fall. But Lord, we are thankful that you have given us the Spirit that gives us new desires, that even in our sin that we would be quick to confess those things and repent, and that your Spirit would enable us, would help us, that we would walk in step with the Spirit, and that we would not give the devil a foothold. But Lord, we pray that you would protect us, that you would fight our fights, which we know you already have. We thank you that the adversary is already defeated. And that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed on our side, is our advocate, and we praise you for that. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we stand and we pray. Amen.